Just so you know, the guy that my daughter beat there in that arm wrestling competition, between 2005 and 2008, I'm not making this up, total truth, was number one ranked arm wrestler in New York State and number four in the Northeast. So let it be known loud and clear, you want to date my daughter, you got to beat her in an arm wrestle. All right, just so I'll get that out there. I do want to talk to you about Rob Grover, though. He's actually a great guy. He's a little creepy in that video, but he is an awesome guy, great friend. And Rob Grover was, like I said, the number one and the number four in the Northeast in, in 2005 to 2008. And in 2008, something happened and crippled him for a time. He was a fireman. He was caught in a fire and he was badly burned. And Rob then spent several years overcoming all kinds of things. He had surgeries. He had different things going on, uh, different scarring on his body because of what he went through. And actually now he's trying to re-enter this whole arm wrestling circuit. He just texted me a video of him at a new competition this past Sunday, beating a guy like 40 pounds bigger than him. So this guy's legit. But what I love about Rob is that he's not just a great arm wrestler and a big guy. He's also overcoming in the areas we're trying to talk about here. Because in 2008, when he went through this, God began to do something in his heart that was new. He began to draw Rob to himself in a really powerful way. And Rob now, for the last several years, has been overcoming physical stuff. He's been overcoming emotional stuff. He's not a firefighter anymore. A lot has happened because of what he went through. But he's overcoming many different difficulties. And what I love about him is that when you hang out with him, you just see someone who naturally, genuinely loves Jesus. And he's overcoming the struggles in his life like we're talking about here in this series. So in this series, we're not just talking about overcoming hard times or difficulties or loss. We're talking about specifically overcoming the sin struggles in our lives. And sometimes we feel like my daughter in that video, we're this little itty bitty thing and we're up against this huge thing called sin and it's always this arm wrestle and it feels like we're never gonna win. But what we've been saying here in this series is that God gives us the strength to overcome in many different ways. A lot of us know what it is to feel overcome by sin, but instead we can actually, by God's grace and through some of the things we're talking about here, overcome the sin and the struggles in our lives. And so we've been kind of basing this series on this awesome verse in 1 John 5, verse 4. It says this, it says, everyone born of God overcomes the world. And in the first two weeks, we talked about what that looks like. And here's basically what that verse means. It means everyone who has a relationship with Jesus can overcome the sin struggles and temptations in our lives that are from our own flesh, that a part of us that's always drawn to do the wrong thing, the things that the world might kind of throw at us, and the things that Satan himself whispers in our ears to trip us up. And the one thing we've been trying to make clear is that we will never get this perfect, right? This side of heaven, that's why we need a Savior. That's why we need Jesus. Uh, you and I, if you're not a follower of Jesus or you are tonight, same deal. Jesus came for every single one of us. He came to rescue us from our sin. He came not just to say, hey, now impress me and do the right thing, but he came to rescue us and set us free from our sin and do what we could never, ever do by ourselves. And so here in this series, we're saying, all right, wow, God's done some, God has done something big, and now how do we respond because of that? And, and what kind of freedom can we have here in our lives here and now? Um, so far, here's where we've been. Week one, we basically talked about the fact that when we set our minds on godly things, we'll live in godly ways, right? That's so, so important to be careful about what we think about and what we set our minds on because the Bible tells us there's a huge link between what you and I think about and then how we live. And then last week, we just talked about who God has made us to be. We just kind of need to be reminded maybe of the fact that God has given you and I the identity of an overcomer. 
That we're not people who mostly mess up and once in a while get it right. That by God's grace, we can be people who honor him with our lives. And yeah, we sometimes stumble, but man, his grace is always there to get us back on the right road and get us moving forward again. Now tonight, I want to talk with you about a different strategy that we see in scripture when it comes to overcoming our sin struggles and the things that you and I tend to go back to. And it has a lot to do actually with that temptation that you and I have, not just from ourselves, not just through peer pressure or from a friend, but actually when it feels like Satan himself is whispering in our ear. Now, some of you might be thinking, Doug, this is why I don't go to church, because I don't believe in Satan. I don't believe in any of this stuff, and I can't believe you're bringing this up. Come on, it's 2014. Isn't this a little old school, right? Well, let me talk to you in just a minute about that idea. But if you are a follower of Jesus, here's what you know is true. You know that every single day there's temptation in our lives, right? And to be tempted is not to sin, right? When you, when you and I are, are tempted, as we're going to see a little later in the message, it doesn't mean we're sinning or we've done anything wrong, okay? But every day there's, there's things in our lives that pull us and, and try to get us to go the wrong way. And, and those roads always lead to brokenness like we've been seeing in this series so far. They always lead to death in one way or another, be it eternal death, be it physical death, or be it just the death of a relationship because of sin or death of purity because of a situation we've gotten ourselves into. But we all know that those temptations are daily, but man, have you ever had a season in your life where it's not just normal temptation, it's like Satan's breathing down your neck? It's that every moment of the day you battling through? You ever had that? Let me just go football here for a second. Um, Richard Sherman is a cornerback. He's not a quarterback, he's a cornerback. If you don't know football, a cornerback is the guy who runs around the field and tries to make sure the wide receivers can't ever catch a pass. And we have a picture here of Richard Sherman blocking a pass that was going to this guy on the Falcons. Now the next picture is him forcing a fumble and recovering it from my close personal friend Mark Sanchez. Uh, There he is. And uh, he, of course, picks that thing up and then runs it back, right? And The idea of Richard Sherman, who is the self-proclaimed best corner in the league, he probably actually is, but his whole life is about breathing down the receiver's necks, about making sure that the receivers never touch the ball. He's there to block. If they do happen to get the ball in their hands, he's there to tackle them. Um, He's constantly taunting. Have you ever seen this guy after he makes a great play? In fact, Thanksgiving night, he made two picks against the 49ers, and he taunted the crowd. They're playing in San Francisco at the 49ers Stadium. He's looking around, taunting, mocking the crowd after he makes these catches. And you know what? There are great quarterbacks who won't even throw to his side of the field because he knows that guy is there breathing down the receiver's necks, there to make them stumble and fall and never succeed. And guys, you and I have those days, don't we, where it feels like Satan is living to do that in our lives, right? Not just the normal temptations, but he is breathing down our neck. He's there to block everything God's trying to do. He's there to tackle us, knock us to the ground. He's there to keep us from success no matter what It takes. And so he's there breathing down our necks. And it's not just the normal temptation to gossip. It's it's this overwhelming thing that you can hardly keep your mouth shut. He's there whispering thoughts of impurity. And man, it's like, wow, there's there's some levels of temptation, but this is like this, I gotta like constantly all day keep my mind in the right place. And it's like everywhere I turn, it seems like there's another setup that, that the enemy has for me. And you know, it's those days, it's those seasons. 
It's that season when you're so angry and your spouse is so angry and it seems like no matter what you do, you can't help but just bang heads every time you get together. You can't help. Every conversation has like daggers attached to it. Like, oh, what is going on here? Well, you're there in that season, man, where the enemy is just breathing down your neck. It's, it's him trying to get us down roads of addiction, bound back into things we thought we were over years ago. And you thought you were past the temptation phase, but suddenly there's a week or a month or a year. It just feels like every moment of every day you're hanging on by a thread. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you know those times, don't you? You know those moments, you know those days, you know those weeks, sometimes those months and even those years. So what do we do? What do we do when Richard Sherman is breathing down our neck? Does the Bible have anything to say here about what we can do? Because all those places that Satan wants us to take us are just broken. They enslave us. They make us miserable. And so what can we do in those moments? Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, like I said earlier, you might be... You might be thinking, come on, man, this is, this is just so crazy, so juvenile, right? Well, rather than point to the Bible, which you probably don't believe in if you're not a follower of Jesus, to try to convince you there's the devil, that kind of doesn't work, right? So here's what we always do around here when we talk about Satan. It's this thought. It's the thought that as you watch the news, as you go online, you read the news, if you're old school when you like the newspaper in the hand, which rock on, go for it, then here's what happens. Every once in a while, you're reading through the paper, right? You're watching the news, and, and there's some news stories that come up, and, and we kind of go, wow, that, that guy was an idiot, but all right, he like robbed a bank, and he got caught, and I always say, if I wasn't a pastor or a Christian, man, I'd, all, I'd be robbing banks, man. It just seems like so much fun. I don't even care about the money. I just want to be like dangling from a rope somewhere. Anyway, um, and so we kind of look at that stuff, and we go, all right, all right, I see what it is, you know, and, and, then, and then it gets a little more intense, and you see, oh, you know, this guy did this to this girl, and this girl did this back, and you're like, all right, the, you know, dumb, but okay, but then aren't there those news stories? That come on, and we go, what? Like, like, so vile, so evil. How can a person do this to another person? And I'll tell you, I think that people have the ability to do some pretty bad things, but I think there are some things people have done throughout human history that, man, you gotta look at that and go, there's gotta be something behind that. There's gotta be something inspiring that, motivating that. I don't think it's just human nature. I think there's pure evil behind that. I think even though that person probably didn't even realize it, Satan was whispering in their ear, breathing down their neck, and led them to that. So all right, I won't try to convince you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, through the Bible that, that there's a Satan, even though I 100% believe it's true, I just think you gotta look at the news, and you find and see the reality of that. And so what do you and I do? What do we do? when Satan's breathing down our neck and it just feels like we're in this onslaught of temptation? Well, the Bible gives us an amazing answer. Paul gives us this amazing answer. And so I really want us just to understand today what we do to overcome Satan's attack in those moments. And so we're going to look at some verses in Ephesians chapter 6. And here's what Paul says. He, he really opens it up great for us. In Ephesians 6.11, he says this, Put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're familiar with some of these verses, and we've talked about this before. And about two years ago at Collision, I did a six-week series, and we really you know, talked about this a lot, and we're not going to get into crazy depth except for one area of this tonight. But if you're not sure what all this means, like, okay, why are these people talking about dressing up in armor? What am I getting myself into here? Um, this is not literal armor, okay? Paul, when he was writing this, knew everybody knew what a Roman soldier looked like. 
because this was the, the, time he, you know, the time period he was writing in. Everybody knew what a Roman soldier looked like. They were just walking around. Paul was probably actually even strapped to one at the time he was writing this, okay? And so he's writing to his friends in Ephesus, and he cares about them, and he knows that there are times Satan whispers in their ears, and he says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about just like a soldier goes into battle, you know what, you, sometimes you go into a spiritual battle, and you need to have equipment on to protect you. Just like a soldier would. So a soldier wears a helmet, he's got a sword, he's got a shield, he's got all these different things. Spiritually speaking, you need to have these things on. Now obviously we don't put them on. I don't even think we necessarily sit there every morning, like get out of bed and and pray them on. They're just things that we can use. They're things that can be true of us and we can grab a hold of that really make a difference. And so Paul's using this illustration. Here's what he says, and I'll try to break it apart, but we're really going to focus on just the last few uh, words of this section. So verse 14 says this, stand firm then. So when Satan's coming, he's got schemes, he's got plans, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. So truth matters. Knowing the truth, keeping your mind set on the truth. Uh, as we talked about in that, in that series, Armor, the, the belt comes in just like it kind of holds our, our, our clothes on and together and keeps everything nice and tight. And, you know, that's what it did for these Roman soldiers. It kept the whole outfit together, actually. And so he's saying, all right, the truth keeps everything together. Uh, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. So the, the soldiers would wear these big chest protectors, right? And so he's saying, okay, righteousness will protect you. With your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel, of peace. The soldiers would wear these shoes that actually had little spikes on the bottom for traction so they could stand and they could have the ability to withhold uh, when somebody came at them with force. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So now we've just got that Lord of the Rings imagery, right? Where, you know, they're shooting out the flaming arrows and they're standing there, you know, holding up the shield. And, and Paul's saying here, all right, the shield is made of faith, and that protects you when Satan shoots temptation. And then he says, take the helmet of salvation. And so our salvation protects our mind, right? It protects us from the lies and the things that distract us and the doubt. And he says this, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So Paul here is using this illustration that everybody would have understood. If I were telling my kids about the armor of God, I would use baseball terms because Bryn plays softball and the boys both, both play baseball. In fact, both my boys played fall ball this past year and Cade's league was like super intense and everybody's, you know, striking kids out, making ridiculous diving catches and it's just epic and amazing, right? And then there's Landon's league, right? Little six-year-olds out there running around. Nobody gets out. There's no strikes. Innings left about four and a half days, right? You're out there. The, the, one of the most entertaining things we saw in the field had nothing to do with baseball. It was the first baseman just going like this until he fell down, and then he'd get back up and he'd do it again. And, and then I almost started wanting to start doing it just so I'd have something to do with the game. You know, like Kelly's like, sit down. You know, but but if I were to you know use an illustration with them, I'd say, all right, guys, let's talk baseball. You know what a baseball player looks like. You know, Let, let's talk gear here. All right. So just like a baseball player, baseball player goes out there and he has protection and he has weapons in his hands so he can do what he's got to do and he doesn't get hurt and he's able to do. Uh, what he needs to do out there on the field or with the bat. You know, in the same way, uh, when we go out there spiritually, we need to be ready. And so you'd have the helmet of salvation. That one would go over. Maybe you'd have, you know, the bat of the spirit, right? You'd have the cleats of peace, uh, you know, the glove of righteousness. I don't know, okay? And so Paul was just simply using an illustration people were familiar with. And the one part of this that I really want us to focus on tonight is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And there's a few reasons why I want to do that. Number one, it's the only offensive weapon, okay? 
everything else is defensive, right? A shield is defensive. All the other armor is really defensive. It's there to protect you. But I don't want to just be protected. I don't want to just be able to defend myself. I want to move forward in my relationship with God. I want to move forward and get past some of these temptations and struggles. And when Satan's breathing down my neck, I don't want to spend the rest of my life just standing there taking a beating with my shield up. I want to be able to move forward and push back. And so Paul here says, all right, let's talk about the sword of the Spirit. And he tells us what the sword of the Spirit is. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. And the second reason I want us to focus on the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is because Jesus models what we're going to talk about here tonight. Paul tells us it's important and it's practical and it works. And we see Jesus actually use it. Okay? And so Paul defines the sword of the Spirit as the Word of God, but what does that mean? See, most of my life as a Christian, I thought the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, was the Bible I held in my hand. Uh, now we live in a great time period where we all have it on our phone. If you don't have the Version Bible app, you need to download it and have that thing with you. You can have the Word of God on your phone there all the time. But I used to think that was it, you know? So as long as I had my little pocket Bible, or as long as I had a Bible in my backpack, you know, anytime I felt tempted or, or like, you know, Satan was kind of coming at me, I could take that thing out, you know? I wouldn't, like, wave it around or anything, but, but I, you know, you could read it, you know? Is that it? Like, is, it, is reading the Word of God using the sword of the Spirit? I mean, reading the Word of God is great, but that's actually not using the sword of the Spirit. Well, what about thinking about maybe scripture that you have in your mind. Is that using the sword of the spirit? Is that going to push the enemy back? No, no, that, that's actually not either. What Paul is talking about, see here, this word, when he uses the word, word, all right, word of God, the word is rhema, and this is what it means. It's that which is said. It's a word, a saying, or an expression. And so what Paul is saying here is, look, we need this sword of the spirit, this thing that's going to be able to help us advance and in our relationship with God, and cut through the lies, so to speak, that Satan might speak to us. But the way this works is not just reading the Word of God, it's not just knowing the Word of God, it's actually when we speak it. That's what using the sword of the Spirit looks like. And Paul tells us, and closes up this section, and all the things we talked about here in the armor of God are important, but he closes it up by saying, all right, let's take this offensive weapon now, and let's move forward. It's the word of God. It's the spoken word of God. Tom Constable says it like this as he's talking about this specific portion of Scripture. He says, It seems most likely to refer to the words of Scripture that we use to counteract a particular temptation we face. It is the appropriate Scripture spoken or put to use by the Christian in a given instance of temptation that is in view. And historically, what we know about a sword that a Roman soldier would have carried around is it was actually kind of a short sword and it was double-edged and it was used for hand-to-hand combat. Sounds just like what we're talking about, no? Sometimes Satan is whispering down, he's breathing down our neck, whispering in our ears and we are at that close hand-to-hand combat, man. He's whispering thoughts of doubt about who God is. He's whispering thoughts of anger and unforgiveness. He's whispering thoughts of just the taking that pain from loss or brokenness and internalizing and not opening it up and not surrendering that, surrendering that to God. And he's coming at us, right? Thoughts of impurity, thoughts of greed, thoughts of selfishness. And at that moment, we need to be able to take out the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the spoken word of God, and use that. 
And so I said earlier, Jesus is the best example of this. And so I just want us to look at this short story of how Jesus uses this in Matthew, right? And if you're a follower of Jesus, then, then you're familiar with this. But I think that maybe there are some things that you'll see tonight that maybe you haven't before. I, I talked about this several years ago. But man, for me, when I studied this a few years ago, I learned some amazing things about these verses that I'd just never seen before. And so Matthew 4, verse 1, we see this example played out, all right? It says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So like we said earlier, to be tempted doesn't mean you're sinning, right? I said this a few weeks ago. Sometimes the devil plays this game with us. He tempts us, and then he throws guilt and condemnation on us for being tempted. You ever have that one? It's just the worst. He tempts you, you don't necessarily give in, but then you feel bad because you at least had the desire, the temptation there to do it. And, you know, just so that you and I know we can all be on the same page, you know, don't let him go there with you. Don't let him play that game. If, you, if there's a temptation he throws your way and you stand your ground, man, God, God gave you grace. Move on now. Don't get sucked up in condemnation and guilt, all right? Then it says, verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I love when the Bible tells us obvious information. You know? I wouldn't have figured that one out. After 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Oh, thanks. Um, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, there's actually really great depth as to what all this was, why these specific temptations, but it's really not the point for tonight, and I don't want us to get distracted with it, all right? So the point is how Jesus answers here. Jesus is starving. Jesus just wants something to eat so badly, and Satan uses this this temptation, and and how does Jesus respond? Look what it says in verse 4. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so with a little bit of investigative work, you know what we find out? We find out that Jesus wasn't just speaking right here. He was actually speaking the word of God. He was speaking from the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. He's quoting scripture. Now I just want us to think about this for a second. Jesus is God. <laughs> I mean, he's fully God and he enters our situation. He's, he's fully man too. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus, let me take one second as you kind of maybe wrestled with this and said, why, why should I even think about God? He just seems all safe and happy and fine up there. If he's even there, he's sitting on his nice throne. He's, you know, getting fanned by angels and fed grapes and he's okay. Can we just think about this for a second? Jesus joined us, right? He joined the suffering. He joined the pain. He joined the temptation. In fact, we would find out later he would suffer more than anyone ever will. And so if your objection about God is that he's unloving, he doesn't know what it's like to be you, he knows what it's like to be you. And this temptation is part of that, right? But here's Jesus, fully God, fully man. And instead of just answering Satan, instead of just saying, shut up, right? Instead of just flicking him, right? He uses the word of God. Now, if you want to get real deep for a second, he is the word of God, right? What, are you kidding me? But no, he knows in that moment the way to counteract this enemy breathing down his neck in a moment that's very opportune for Satan. He knows the way to resist. The way to move forward is to speak the word of God. So he speaks the word of God from Deuteronomy. Then Satan thinks he's getting smart here, right? In verse five, it says, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written. So Satan comes back at God now, Jesus, with scripture. 
He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Satan is sure he's got him beat here, right? Because he used scripture. He's got this, right? Verse 7, Jesus answered him. It is also written. I think Jesus had a smirk on this one. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. You know what he quoted? He's back in Deuteronomy again. He's in those same little few chapters of scripture. Verse eight, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will be uh, bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written. He could have just said away from me. But no, he goes, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He's back in Deuteronomy again. He's quoting scripture again. Verse 11, then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Now, the thing that got me as I studied this several years ago was something I never thought of before. The thing that stands out to me about these verses is that the thing Satan can't handle in these verses is the truth, right? The thing he can't, he can't keep going with, he can't push past, the thing he gets stuck on is when Jesus uses the truth, right? Because Jesus is going back to scripture here. What, what's Satan going to do? He can't argue anymore, right? Did you, did you notice as we read through this that as soon as Jesus brought up the truth, Satan moved to a different temptation? He moved to a different area. Why? Because Satan knew he's using the truth on me. What am I going to do now? He's using God's word on me. That's ultimate truth. Every layer that you peel back, you find more truth. I can't go anywhere. I can't work this anymore. It's like every time you and I speak God's truth, Satan goes, dang, I'm done. Nothing I can do here. Nowhere for me to go anymore. And so Satan tries another temptation. Jesus goes right back to the truth again. Satan tries another temptation. Jesus goes back to the truth again. And Satan's finally gone, I'm getting nowhere here. And he walks away because the truth shuts him down. The truth has a way of doing that, right? You ever been arguing with somebody and suddenly somebody brings up the truth and you're just like, oh, right? I have nowhere to go with that. A few months ago, my kids and I were sitting at the drive-thru at Dunkin' Donuts and we were getting the food for the service here and, and we're sitting there and I'm waiting and I'm, I'm, of course I'm late, I'm normally late and, and I'm sitting there at Dunkin' Donuts and I'm going, come on, why aren't they taking my order? This is ridiculous. We've been waiting here and waiting here and I'm sweating. I'm like looking at the time and I just can't. And I'm, you know, my, my poor kids are in the back, you know, hearing me like freak out about all this. And finally, my 10-year-old Kay goes, um, Dad, read the sign. And I look, and there's a big sign right in front of my face that says, please pull up, the speaker is not working, right? <laughs> On the Dunkin' Donuts thing right there, right? And said, thank you, son, you know, uh, extra presents, right? And so I, in that moment, I can tell you what I did not do. I did not continue on my tirade, right? When I got up to the drive-thru, when I did not say, you know, I sat back there for 10 minutes. No, the truth shut me up. What else was I gonna say? What else was I gonna do? And it's the same, I think, is true in our relationship with God and when Satan is whispering in our ears. I think if we speak the truth, he knows he can't do anything. Now, Satan can't read your mind. I think that's why we have to speak the truth. And so let me kind of just make another little observation here as we think about this. It's, It's something that you and I have the ability every moment of every day to take hold of We live in a time where we can all walk around with the Bible on our phone, which is really cool. But here's what I I just want to challenge you with. 
I don't know that the best strategy to overcome our temptations is to just simply carry around the Bible with us and in the moment of temptation, open it up and try to find a great verse and then speak it. Now, I think, I think the strategy is, what's your sin struggle? Get a verse inside you. Get a verse inside you that you can speak in any moment, even if it's a whisper. I mean, you're in the office. You don't want to be like screaming at Satan necessarily, okay? But just a whisper, just a whisper of the truth. And I think it shuts him up. Why did Jesus keep going to Deuteronomy? What was it about that? As I was reading through it, I was like, what's going on? Why does he keep going back to these specific chapters? I believe it was chapters four through six. He quotes from every single time. What's going on with that? And you know what I, look, I found as I looked into it in research was that these chapters were taught to Jewish boys, which Jesus was one, from about the age of six. These chapters, these kids learned and knew and memorized. Now, like I said before, Jesus knew all of Scripture, authored Scripture, is the Scripture, right? If you want to get real deep. But on a human side, I just wonder if when those temptations came, the first thing that came into his mind were those things he'd heard from the time he was six and had deep in his heart. And that's why I think it's so important for you and I not just to carry around the Scripture, but to actually have it in our heart, to know it, to be ready for it. There's that great verse in scripture that says, I've hid my word in my heart that I might not sin against you, right? To actually have it there, to have it ready, to have it ready to speak at any given moment. I think there's such power in that. And so I'm gonna tell you what I I want you to know. It's real simple. And then we're gonna talk a little bit about how to do it. And I wanna just inspire you and then we'll pray, okay? The thing I want you to know is this. Overcomers speak God's word. They don't just know it. They don't just listen to it. They don't ignore it. They speak it. And so if you and I want to walk as overcomers, if we want to walk in the freedom of honoring God with our lives and get away from all those roads we we just feel are broken anyway, then we got to get to the point where we speak God's word. And so I would encourage you, I mean, Google can be a really bad thing, but in this instance, a really good thing. Literally, all you have to do is Google verses about fear. Verses about anger. Verses about addiction. Verses about gossip. Verses about purity. And they'll come up, and you can have them. And I would encourage you, whatever your learning style is, whatever works for you, do what you need to do to get a few verses inside you. I'm not saying memorize the whole Bible. I'm not saying memorize Deuteronomy chapters 4 through 6. I'm saying find a verse or verses that are particular to your struggle. And then... Speak those things, man, in the heat of the moment when Satan's breathing down your neck. And I believe more and more you and I will find victory. We'll find that he shuts up. And he may move on and he may try a different angle. And and we can be sure he's not ever going to give up ultimately. But man, more and more we can find victory. And we can find that we're overcoming by God's grace. And so what's your learning style? I don't know. For me, the best thing I can do is just get an index card and write a verse on it and walk around with it like in my pocket for a week. Or a note. I'll just make a note on my phone and I have like literally a note app and I just have all my verses and then I'm trying to learn and I'm trying to memorize and you know, it's just every once in a while, whenever I have a moment, you know, I'm putting the kids to bed, cool, I'm just looking at that or I'm driving, no, I'm kidding. Uh, You know, and whatever it might be, I'm just taking a moment where I have a second, just a second and I can get it back in my heart again. 
And so there are some great verses. I mean, Romans 8.37 is kind of a broad one, right? In all things, we're more than conquerors through him who loves us. In all things, we're more than conquerors. So if you're hurting, you lost someone you love recently, you're angry about something, you've been persecuted at work, your body is physically hurting yourself, and there's an anger and there's a bitterness building up in you. No, no, no. In all things, I'm more than a conqueror through Christ who loved me. So that's kind of a broad one. But let's talk purity, right? Philippians 4. Whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Think about those things. You know, so Satan's whispering in your ear about looking at this or doing that or going there with these people. You know you always end up messing up sexually. No, no, no. Satan, I'm going to think about what's true, right, pure, noble. And man, it's in you and it's coming out and it's in the moment. So what is your struggle? There's a verse for it. There are verses for it. And that verse is the weapon. And you may be thinking, man, I don't know if this is going to work though. Well, then man, you know something that Paul and Jesus didn't. Because Paul said, this is the sword of the spirit. This is the offensive weapon. And Jesus modeled this for you and I. So I don't know what your learning style is. I don't know what you need to do. Some of you need to make a certain verse, your screensaver on your computer or your phone or whatever it might be, man. But I tell you what, it's powerful. And it will work. And you'll see more and more growth and breakthrough in your life as you use these. Lastly, some of you, Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, or maybe you are, and you're just going, Doug, I just don't know that I could put all this trust in the Bible, right? I mean, some of us are saying, all right, I believe in Jesus, and I think I believe most of the Bible or some of the Bible. I mean, is there anything you can give me tonight just to kind of inspire me, to remind me why this is so powerful and why it matters and why it's good and why I could trust it? And if you're not a follower of Jesus, why do we take the Bible so seriously, well, Josh McDowell put something together I've shared with you guys years ago. It's so powerful, and you guys can check it out on the screens. But this is what he says about the Bible. He says, The Bible is the most published and translated book in the world. Countless rulers have tried to destroy it. And yet, let's just think for a second. We have more today available to us than ever in history, right? The Bible is unique in its composition. It's written over a 1,500-year span. It's written over 40 generations, written by over 40 authors from every walk of life, including kings, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, poets, statesmen, scholars, etc. Moses, a political leader trained in the universities of Egypt. Peter, a fisherman. Amos, a herdsman. Joshua, a military general. Nehemiah, a cupbearer. Daniel, a prime minister. Luke, a doctor. Solomon, a king. Matthew, a tax collector. And Paul, a rabbi. It was written in different places. Moses in the wilderness, Jeremiah in a dungeon, Daniel on a hillside and in a palace, Paul inside prison walls, Luke while traveling, John on the Isle of Patmos, others in the rigors of a military campaign. It was written on three continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. It was written in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, and here it all comes together. Yet, it contains an unmistakable thread of continuity through its pages. And you know what that continuity is? From Genesis to Revelation, it's the story of broken, sinful people. And it's the story early in in what Moses wrote when suddenly, because of sin, what were there? There were sacrifices, right? And the sacrifices would cover the people's sin, and blood had to be shed for that sin. And then you get to the prophets, and the prophets start to say, hey, guess what? A Savior is coming, and here's where he's going to be born, and here's where he's going to live, and here's what he's going to do, and here's how they're going to kill him, but he's going to rise back from the dead. And they do that a thousand years out. 
And a thousand years later, you guys got, you have guys like Matthew and John and Peter saying, hey, we ate with them. We lived with them for three and a half years and we saw them dead and we saw them back alive again. And then you have a guy like Paul who we heard from tonight who came just after that and said, hey, I know eyewitnesses and Jesus has changed my life and he took me from being this to make me being this new creation in him. And so from beginning to end, this book, though it's written over this great time period by all these different people of all different walks of life in all different languages and all different continents, is all about a broken people who need a savior and it can be trusted. And so if you're a follower of Jesus tonight, I would challenge you to speak the word of God because overcomers speak God's word. I would challenge you to get some verses in your heart and in those moments of temptation, speak those things out. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I wanna give you a moment in just a few minutes to be able to put your trust in Jesus if you want to. I'll give you that opportunity if that's what you desire to do tonight. And lastly, like we've been doing at the end of every part of this series, I want to pray for anybody that's so stuck in their sin that they just can't get out. You might be saying, Doug, I appreciate the message, but I just feel like I'm so stuck I wouldn't even know where to start. And maybe you just need a straight up miracle of God to give you his mercy and grace and lift you out of pit you never could yourself. And so, followers of Jesus, let's know God's word. Let's speak God's words. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'd love to pray with you in a minute and give you an opportunity. And also, we'd love for you to take a Bible on your way out. We have them for free. They're right out the door to the right on your way to the cafe. There's a whole bookshelf of free Bibles. We'd love for you to take them. There's a little note in there that I kind of wrote, a good place to start, some questions to ask as you read. But we're here to help too, guys. If you need anything, if you're confused about the Bible or how to apply it to your life or how to understand it or how to get it in your heart and then use it, that's why we're here. And so community groups can help that way. We'd love to help that way, whatever it might be. But tonight, walk out of here, man. And the next time you have one of those moments where it feels like Satan is breathing down your neck, would you speak God's word? Let's pray. God, thank you, Lord, for your mercy and grace and your desire for us to live a life of freedom, to live a life where we're overcoming those struggles in our lives. And so, God, I just pray for all of us followers of Jesus in the room that you'd help us, God, that you would enable us to live the life that we so badly want to live, just free of the chains, free of those things that we hate when it all is said and done anyway, God. So help us. If you're a follower of Jesus, would you think about your struggle And I just want to challenge you with this. Before you leave tonight, if you don't know a verse about your specific struggle, would you find one? Even if that means taking out your phone right now and Googling verses about fear, verses about anger, that's fine. Or later in the prayer time or whatever during this next worship set. Let's just, before you leave here tonight, make sure you have at least one verse that relates to your fear and then you, or your struggle, and then use it as the sword of the Spirit. If you're not a follower of Jesus, let me give you a chance to respond to God. It's just between you and Jesus. You could pray something like this. Jesus, thank you for this gift of salvation. Forgive me for the sin in my life. I thank you for your incredible love. I thank you that I could never earn this gift from you. But it's yours to me freely. Help me, God, to now know you, see how real you are, and live the life of an overcomer. Now let me just pray for you if you're stuck. God, I pray for everybody in this room that is in chains and they've tried this and that and they've done all they know to do and they're just stuck. God, I just pray that you would break every chain. Holy Spirit, that you would do what no one in this room could do, not even the person that's struggling. So please, God, reach people where they're at tonight 
and do the impossible in our lives. We need you so much in your name. Amen.